As we come in this moment to hear from the living God and his word, let's open in prayer. Also, just maybe you might take this moment if you've got kids to get, set them up with worksheets and whatever it is that they need during this time. But let's pray. Gracious and almighty God, we praise you for the gift of this day, the gift of your word and the gift of your spirit. We ask now that your spirit, the same spirit that inspired Matthew in the writing of his gospel, would inspire us, enliven and open our hearts and our minds to the truth of who you are, Jesus, the goodness and glory of who you are, and would enliven our hearts and minds to the truth of who you call us to be. Would we even in this moment and in this distant season have a profound sense this morning, perhaps like never before, of your call and hold upon our lives? In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. One of our stated core values here at Church of the Cross is participation. Participation with God in his renewal of all things. In previous years, if you've spent time around church, you might sense the kind of connection with the word mission. It might have been a word that would have been used instead of participation. We chose participation for a couple of specific reasons, but there is very clearly this aspect of mission to it. We participate as the church, as the people of God, in God's mission in the world, in creation, to the world. This morning, using our gospel reading from Matthew, I'd like to answer two basic questions about participation, our being with God on mission. First, what does that participation look like? And second, what is the basis for our participation? Two basic questions. First, what does participation look like? Like many of you, I spent a few evenings early on in the pandemic watching The Last Dance, the documentary about Michael Jordan's final season with the Chicago Bulls. The few episodes I caught brought back childhood memories of the VHS Come Fly With Me that my brother and I used to watch, and the Gatorade commercial with that catchy jingle and phrase, Be Like Mike. It's a remarkable testimony to Jordan's appeal that he received such a blanket endorsement, almost universally embraced. Be like Mike. We pick up with the Gospel of Matthew this morning at a sort of be like Mike moment. The end of chapter 9 into chapters 10 and 11 constitute this one section where the followers of Jesus begin to act like Jesus. They take on the shape and pattern of his life and mission. They participate. The very beginning of our reading describes how Jesus was going through all the towns and cities of the region, preaching, teaching, and healing. These three activities make up Jesus' public work. He preached, he taught, he healed. In chapter 10, the followers of Jesus begin to do these same things. They're like Jesus, doing the same work, involved in the same project. Our participation looks like Jesus. It looks like the same qualities and virtues within us, the same actions in our lives manifest among us. This is the promise of Pentecost that we celebrated two weeks ago, that the same Spirit is at work in us. 
It looks distinct depending on our gifts, our cultures, our vocations, but our participation for us all follows the pattern of Jesus. A basic question that might guide our participation today is, what is Jesus, the ascendant king, by his Holy Spirit, up to today in our neighborhoods, our workplaces, among our relationships? I'd encourage you to pray that question, what is Jesus up to? And listen, seek to discern what the answer might be. As we talk about the different gifts and vocations of people in participation, we can also say that everyone is involved. Participation looks like everyone playing the game. In our reading, Jesus here sends out all 12 disciples. There's a sense of completion. 12 disciples for the 12 tribes of Israel. The whole people of God sent out to participate. The first 12 are unique in some ways. Our faith is built upon their testimony about Jesus. But when it comes to participation, there's no B team and there's no A team. To be a disciple is, in some way, to be an apostle. One sent. To be a member of one holy and apostolic church sent out. The list of names in verses 2 and 3 is easy to skip over, but one thing to notice is both the difference among them, right? A tax collector and a zealot, very different people. Both are participants. And also notice the commonality. These are normal people, most of them likely illiterate, not particularly learned or special. I once heard someone compare the first disciples of Jesus to the crew from the show The Deadliest Catch hard scrabble, rough around the edges. And notice the instructions in verses 9 to 11. They don't seem to have the benefit of a lot of resources or wherewithal in the world. And even that is not an excuse, does not exclude them from mission. There's, of course, the need for training and education. There are real-world practicalities for fundraising for resources. But it seems that this first participation with Jesus on mission that we see here in Matthew suggests that we're not with excuses. We're not excluded. There's no kind of lack that excludes our participation on mission. During these past weeks, our family has continued to periodically watch YouTube videos of the blessing. You have probably seen this. I think it began in the United Kingdom or Pittsburgh. These videos of various Christians singing this blessing from numbers over their nation, their region. It's now spread around the world in this remarkable kind of spirit-inspired way, I'd say. The church on mission, participating in God's blessing of the nations. We saw highlights from Zimbabwe, South Korea, and Singapore, among others. Just the other day, we watched a video that was entirely children. It might have been my favorite. Some of the kids are off-key, some are a little distracted. There are kids with Down syndrome and those who sign. There's a child too young to sing who's also featured. What there is and what's most beautiful and powerful is full participation. Various children playing their part. What does mission look like? 
it looks like everyone involved. Together even, the 12 are sent together. Everyone involved, following the example of Jesus. One last thing about what participation looks like. God's mission is informed by God's kingdom. Participation looks like the kingdom in action. Both Jesus and the disciples' work in our reading is put in terms of God's kingdom, the good news of it, the nearness of it. Jesus' preaching, teaching, and healing constituted this announcement, this demonstration of the reality of God's reign. Israel's good and just God is reasserting his claim, his kingship over all creation. That's what Jesus is saying when he preaches and teaches and heals. It's announced with the preaching. And then something so comprehensive and radical requires teaching, right? People must be taught what this means. Implications unpacked, connections made. And people must know and experience this reality. It's healing power over evil, disease, and even death. The disciples preaching, teaching, and healing have the same effect, function the same way, announcing the reality of God's kingdom, making it real and tangible, believable, credible for others. Look at the list of commands in verses 7 and 8. Proclaim, announce, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. That's a comprehensive picture. The promise of the kingdom touches on every part of human experience, bringing goodness to the spiritual arena, experiential realm, the material, individual, and corporate spheres. It's good news for the whole of human life, the whole of our experience, such that the world is ripe for the kingdom. Our participation in the kingdom, in in making it known, unfolds in each of these spheres. This is part of why there are so many different gifts and vocations in the church, faithful hands in each of these arenas. There are clear political implications to God's kingdom. It means justice. It means the flourishing of all people made in the image of God. And where such justice and flourishing are not known, the kingdom of God must be brought to bear in greater fullness. This is the basis of Christian social action, the Christian pursuit of justice, because of the kingdom. The Anne campaign, this group of Christians thinking, reflecting about kingdom implications in the political sphere in the United States, have been a help to me in these last weeks and even beyond. In one of their statements, they declare, in an unjust society, social action is not distraction from the gospel, but a biblical mandate. What we find in Scripture is the basis for this kind of action, social action. What we find and see in God's kingdom, promised and hoped for, is the basis upon which Christians can say, Black Lives Matter. Not because of the New York Times or CNN or because it's there in the democratic platform, but because it's in scripture, it's in this vision of the kingdom. 
The same thing animates why Christians, why the church makes a stand regarding pro-life causes. Not because it's associated with the Republican platform or this organization is for it or against it, but because it's reflected there in the kingdom in Scripture. Even as we talk about Christian social action, the pursuit of justice, there's also this emphasis that at the center of the kingdom is this singular king, Jesus, in all his beauty, goodness, and glory. The last dance is kind of about the 1998 Chicago Bulls, but really it's about Michael Jordan. He's at the center. I don't know if this really makes sense or connects, but at the center of the kingdom, in the same way, is Jesus. It's the kingdom, but at its center is Jesus. It's his life. that It's in his life that God's kingdom of justice and goodness is seen and made real, brought near. It's only through Jesus that the gift of the kingdom is received. And the centrality of Jesus does highlight the importance of verbal proclamation, speaking the name of Jesus, articulating his goodness and grace that others might know him. What does participation look like? It looks like people with the name, the goodness of Jesus on their lips, doing kingdom work in all these spheres. Some of you will recall just from the month of May, we took up specific mission giving for some partners here and abroad. The partner here in Austin is communities and schools, specifically the, those working with families from Harris Elementary School. We've been interacting with them, workers from uh, communities and schools, this past week. And as we talk about how can this money, this money that so many of you contributed to, be dispersed, we're looking for ways respectfully to communicate that what is being given is being given in the name of Jesus. Not so our team, the Christian team, or our church gets credit, but that people would know, would experience, be reminded of his goodness and grace. You know that phrase, familiarity breeds contempt? That's probably a little strong, but I think something can apply for those of us who have long been in the church with regard to Jesus. In our sense of familiarity with him, we lose confidence, perhaps, in who Christ is. We forget the glorious benefits, the singular beauty of who he is. In the words of the great thanksgiving that we pray during morning prayer, we forget the gift of God's immeasurable love in Jesus. The world needs Christ. He stands at the center of its longings and hopes. People need to meet and know him as king. There is no kingdom of justice and true flourishing without Jesus. And the work to which we are called as Christians, our participation, has him at its center, is done for and in his name as the true king. So that's what participation looks like. Like Jesus, all of us together. The work of the kingdom done in the name of the king. But as we close, there's that second question. Upon what basis do we do this work? 
Upon what basis do we see ourselves participating? Why? From our reading this morning, I think we can glean two things. First, compassion. Not our compassion, but the compassion of Jesus. The word used here to speak of Jesus' compassion describes something gut-wrenching. Jesus looks upon the crowd, their harassed and helpless state, sees them without a shepherd, needing him as the good shepherd, and he's moved in his body. At the very core of his being, he feels something. To be near to Jesus, to share in his heart, is to come to share in this compassion. It's to be near someone who's moved with compassion for others. If you want to be near the heart of God, you're going to become a participant in that. The passionate concern for injustice, for our neighbors, the zealous desire for the nations to know Jesus, arise from this sense of sharing in the heart of Christ. The church is on the move, on mission, because Jesus is on the move and on mission, motivated by compassion. For some of us, this might involve physically going, cross-cultural, overseas, in this kind of classic mission sense. And we're blessed in our community to have people with that experience. And there is a need for that good and gracious work. Jesus' compassion is for those in this world who do not yet know him as the good and true king. For some of us, this involves a kind of sentness right where we are, in and for the world, here in Austin, among our neighbors. To be a disciple is to be apostolic, sent out. A simple prayer, a way of living into that sentence right where you live might be to pray your kingdom come on earth, as, on, in Cherrywood, in Windsor Park, in Maynard, in Liberty Hill as it is in heaven. And to adopt that mindset, coming to share in the Lord's concern and compassion for your neighborhood, your neighbors. The final basis for our participation with Jesus, I think, is found in this statement he utters to the disciples right before sending them. Freely you have received, freely give. A few years ago, a person I greatly respect shared with me and a few others about a difficult and costly transition in her life. She wrote of a simple desire in that transition, despite its hardships, despite all that she was giving up. She wrote, I want all that Jesus has for me. That statement has hung with me. I want all that Jesus has for me. I'm not sure that I can always say such a thing truthfully. I want enough of Jesus to make me feel better, enough to sanctify my present lifestyle, baptize my current decisions, enough to comfort me in my anxieties. But Jesus has so much more for me and for us. He has for us participation in his good purposes. It seems to me that that desire for all that Jesus has for us is made possible 
by this conviction about who Jesus is and the goodness of what he has offers, about his character as one who is generous and good, seeing him as wholly trustworthy and generous, even in times of difficulty, even when being sent, when participation is costly. I think it's also motivated, that desire rooted in an appreciation that all that Jesus offers is freely given. The healing and wholeness, the justice and goodness, the deliverance from condemnation are not earned or things to which I am entitled. They're freely, graciously given. So I cannot cling to them as if they're my own alone. A sense of entitlement and an impoverished view of God's goodness are the death of participation with him. From him, all blessings flow freely to us. Let's freely give. As we receive the word of God this morning, this call to be like Jesus on mission, to the work of participation and being kingdom agents, I can imagine among us a sense of uncertainty or reluctance. There may be all kinds of reasons for that in your own experience. But I can imagine the ways that there is in us a sort of shrinking back from the call that we hear in Matthew chapters 9 and 10. For those of us who are there, uncertain, reluctant, fearful perhaps, my hope and prayer is for us to have a fresh awareness, knowledge, experience of Jesus' compassion and abundant generosity. Jesus is our good shepherd, the true king, and he is moved with compassion for the world around us. To be near him is to come to share in that. And he is the giver of good gifts, who calls us to what is best for us. Participation with him, challenging as it might be, discomforting, even resulting in suffering, is part of the good, the great good he has for us. It's a part of the abundant life he promises. To be sent in the name of Jesus with him is a good thing. An implicit promise even of the instructions of verse 9 to 11 is that Jesus will provide for us. It's my experience that his faithfulness and provision are often best known, most sweetly tasted as we participate, as we extend ourselves in kingdom work for the sake of others. For all of us this morning, there's the clear encouragement of this reading today that we would lay hold of this good authority that is ours in Jesus. Kingdom participants, agents of his glorious reign. There's a call to move forward in that authority, freely given, to preach, to teach, to heal like Jesus. In light of all the benefits we have received, the free gift in light of his great compassion for us and for all that he has made, let us give of ourselves. Let us take our place as participants, workers in the harvest of the Lord, that others might taste and see 
might know all that he freely gives. Let us be like Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.